what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. travelers and welcome once again to the before and after show i'm still your host mj smith and if this is your first time listening welcome if you haven't listened to the show before here's how it works each week i take a movie i've never seen before and i tell you what my expectations are for it and then the following week i will have seen the movie and i will tell you what i actually thought of the movie so you get the before and after of my experience with the film this is the first episode in Uh, my summer blockbuster series. So throughout the summer, at the very least, this may continue into Oscar season, but uh, over the course of the summer, I'm going to be taking one of the blockbusters that's out uh, each week, and I'm going to be watching the blockbuster as well as an older film that's connected in some way to it. For example, this week I've seen um, The Avengers Age of Ultron, which is obviously the newest summer blockbuster that's out. And I took a Scarlett Johansson independent film from 2001 called Ghost World, and I watched that this week, and I'm going to give you my reviews of both of them. Okay, so let's just jump right into it. I didn't really watch anything this week, so I'm going to skip that segment of the show, and I'm going to give you um, my review of the 2001 independent film Ghost World, starring Thora Birch, Scarlett Johansson, and much to my surprise, Steve Buscemi. Um, The film follows two girls who have just graduated high school, and they have uh, their whole lives ahead of them, and they've decided to squander it to be edgy or something. One of them, Scarlett Johansson, becomes disillusioned with that ideal, and um, Thora Birch's character does the opposite. She throws herself even more into the uh, idea of not doing much with her life. Um, They both make the decision to not go to college and just kind of bum around their hometown. They want to get an apartment together and live together, but that's that's like kind of their life plan as far as they haven't figured out. Um, Wow, you guys. Uh, I don't think... I've hated a movie on this podcast more than I have hated Ghost World. It was just everything I hate about an independent... It was like they had a checklist of the worst indie movie cliches they could possibly have, and they just decided to hit every... So first off, these two girls are just the worst people. They're just awful. Um... They're just so jaded and cynical and judgmental and they think they've got the world figured out and they're 18 years old and maybe I was just a better 18 year old than the ones depicted in there but that was about the time I started to realize I didn't have it all figured out and I started to break uh, break away from that phase. I realized everyone goes through that when they're a teenager but good lord by the time you graduate you should be at least a little bit of a person and uh These two girls are not even a little bit. Um, Scarlett Johansson's character does get a little bit of redemption in that. After summer happens, uh, she starts to get disillusioned with 
just kind of bumming around and living that kind of life and she wants to move out of her parents house and live on her own and and she ends up getting a job and thora birch's character doesn't um at all she bucks against it and the problem is it's not a super well-balanced film in terms of you get scarlett johansson's story and you get thora birch's story you just only kind of get everything from Thora Birch's perspective, and she's just not that likable of a protagonist. I don't necessarily need my protagonist to be likable. I mean, I watched six years of Breaking Bad, and Walter White is a despicable human being and a monster uh, that you kind of rooted for, but you don't actually kind of root for uh, Enid, which is Thora Birch's character's name throughout this, because she just spends two hours being generally horrible, and then when good things happen to her, self-sabotaging them, and it's just not that fun to watch. It's just not fun to watch someone be terrible and then have something good happen to them and then be so broken that they feel like that good thing can't happen to them, so they sabotage it on purpose. It's just, I don't like watching unhealthy people in that way. Um... Especially for entertainment, I, I think, you know, a lot of people do live their lives like that, and that's very not great. And to sort of glorify that lifestyle is really, I don't know, it's, it's, I don't want to go so far as to call it offensive, but it just, it's, something about that doesn't really sit right with me. Um, one of the things that they do is uh, they answer this personal ad that a man has put in the, on, on Craigslist where they say you know you were the blonde wearing this i was the the weird looking guy wearing this and they end up calling him and leaving him a message and he shows up at this restaurant and he ends up getting stood up by this woman because it's just them and they kind of stalk him back to his home like they're just crappy teenage kids that are really mean and cynical to everyone around them and um what happens is they end up following this man home and they find out he does like a yard sale of old records across the street from his house and they go and buy a record from him and and Enid ends up like taking a shine to him and and becoming really fast friends with him because they both like old music and like old movies and weird like old foreign films and stuff. She becomes fast friends with him and decides she wants to help him find a girlfriend because she feels bad about uh, leading him on with the personal ad even though he doesn't know that she was one of the girls who called about the personal ad and during that time the actual woman who was the misconnection calls him and he ends up starting a relationship with her and Thora Birch becomes um, jealous of, of that relationship uh, and, and eventually ends up kind of manipulating Steve Buscemi into cheating on the blonde woman with her and then ends up just kind of leaving everyone in her life behind and then the movie's over. She just kind of like disappears out of Steve Buscemi's and Scarlett Johansson's lives altogether and uh it's just not a good thing to do to people because they weren't particularly toxic uh presences in her life they were actually really helpful and and she just sabotaged herself because things were going right for her and i just didn't like that it was just it just oh man it was just so depressing and sad and uh, i don't know it just it just did not rub me the right way um i will say steve buscemi is fantastic in this movie um you know, he's Steve Buscemi aged and he falls in love with this recent high school graduate and and ends up, you know, sleeping with her and stuff. And that sounds very creepy on paper, but the way he plays it is really empathetic and not creepy, really, which is weird because usually that dynamic is super creepy. Um, but he just kind of plays it kind of sad and lonely and, and you like really feel for him. He's the only really likable character in the whole movie. Scarlett Johansson becomes likable, but I'll talk about her in a second. Steve Buscemi's great in it. It's actually some of the best uh, 
acting I've seen him do in kind of anything, and I usually like him in most things he's in, but I don't think it's worth watching the whole movie <laughs> just for him, because he's not in it a whole bunch. Uh, you know, it's very much from the Enid character's perspective, and it's just not a perspective that I really liked. Scarlett Johansson in the movie starts off as sort of like this D-baggy, ennui-filled teenager that Thora Birch is, and she gets a job and kind of starts to figure out how the real world works, and... Um, and it it becomes very apparent that she does not actually like the life that she has chosen to lead with her friend and is trying to break away from it, and that's really good. And so she ends up becoming redeemable. However, because this is the movie that I chose to pair with Age of Ultron specifically because of Scarlett Johansson's presence in the movie, I was very scrutinizing on... Um, on her performance and man is it terrible it's some of the worst acting i've ever seen her do i mentioned in the last episode that i don't think she's the greatest actress in the world but i don't think she's the worst either um you know i don't actually really seek out films with her in it or if i see she's in something i'll usually go see it but it's not usually because like i really like scarlett johansson i'm gonna go see this movie it's usually because she tends to make movies that i think i would like um rather than me seeking her out i seek the project she picks out if that makes any sense. Um, I'm not mad when she shows up in anything. I, I just, I hate to say ambivalent or indifferent because I generally end up liking her by the end of something. But I just kind of like, I, I could go either way on her. And man, I went the other way on her in this. She is straight terrible. Um, it's like she hadn't learned how to talk for film yet. You know, like she's very mushmouthed. Like a lot of her words don't really make it to the end of it to like to her lips they just kind of like die somewhere in the middle of her mouth somewhere and it's it's really hard to understand her character um she the way she her acting style in this movie is real crazy it's just kind of like she's like misses beats consistently like it'll be like thora birch says a quippy line Scarlett Johansson begins her quippy response to that line. And there's these, like, weird long pauses and stilted, like, awkward things in the dialogue. And that's fine. And it works really well, actually, between Enid and um, Steve Buscemi's character. Because they kind of don't know each other that well yet. And they're still kind of trying to figure out who they are. And, and, and you know, whether or not the other person has feelings for them. And, and it's got, like, there's a tension to it when that happens. Enid and Scarlett Johansson are supposed to be best friends, and so to have that, like, awkwardness in it is really off-putting and, like, kind of unsettling. Like, it's just like, oh, you guys were never really friends from the beginning, and, like, Scarlett Johansson's character, like, clearly just needed a friend and was a little bit lonely and glommed on to uh, Thora Birch's character for whatever reason. Um, you don't get a whole lot of backstory from Scarlett Johansson's character, so it's, it's kind of hard to judge it. And she's off being an adult and working for most of the picture so you don't really get to see a lot of her so as far as like her presence in the movie it's pretty minimal which i'm kind of sad about because i picked it in conjunction with age of ultron um thora birch i've always not really been a fan of either this makes two like later or early late 90s early 2000s movies i've seen with her where she's just like a crappy teenager and i hate it um she was also an American Beauty, and she just plays, like, an even more extreme character than she does in American Beauty. Um, and, man, I did not like her in that movie. I did not like American Beauty. This is... 
I would say like a spiritual like kind of punk rock American Beauty successor, and it just does not. I don't know. I guess I don't like movies about midlife crises or quarter life crises because both of those movies are are not good. So that's Ghost World. I do not recommend this movie. It was a downright torturous experience trying to watch it. I know this movie has a lot of fans. Um, If you were one of them, please write the show and tell me why because I legitimately do not understand this movie. I do not understand what it was trying to say. I do not understand why someone would write characters so terrible and so unlikable. Um, So if you are someone who loves this movie, and I know there are a lot of you out there, please let me know why, because I would like to like it. Like, I don't want to not like things, but also, man, this movie sucks. Um, So that's that's my thoughts on Ghost World. Uh, We'll take a quick break, and I will be back to let you know what I thought about the Avengers colon Age of Ultron. All right, we're back, and um, this weekend I got a chance to see The Avengers Age of Ultron, which is the newest Marvel uh, Marvel film and the second-to-last film in their second phase of films. The first phase ended with The Avengers 1. The second phase is ending with Ant-Man in July of this year, and it's been a while since we've seen these guys team up. I mean, it's been three years. The first Avengers movie came out in 2012, and... We've spent uh, the rest of that time kind of following these individual characters around. And that's cool, but there's also something about um, seeing these people team up together again, you know? And it's been three years since we've seen Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, and he was kind of a fan favorite by the end of The Avengers 1. He's the best Hulk we've seen on film. And the Hulk that's truest to, I think, the one that's near and dear to everyone's heart in both the comics and the television show with... um, Bill Bigsby. I almost called him Bill Paxton. So it was it was like going into it, it was like hype train a chugging along because, you know, it's cool to see these people team up. We haven't seen Hawkeye in three years. And and you know, I like spending time with these characters, so I was pretty pumped about it. Um before I go any further, spoilers for Age of Ultron. I'm not gonna spoiler tag any of the rest of the movies for this uh summer movie season. This is your only warning. Every movie that we watch this this summer is going to be spoiled, so if you haven't seen the movie and you listen to this episode and you're mad because I spoiled it, don't be mad. Uh, That's ridiculous for me to talk about a movie that I saw and not spoil it um, when summer blockbusters live and die by their opening weekend. So here's a blanket for the rest of the summer spoiler warning. Every movie will be spoiled pretty heavily um, from here on out. So the movie opens with this assault on... Baron von Strucker's uh, castle compound somewhere in Eastern Europe, and uh, he's used Loki's staff to do experiments on these, uh, quote, enhanced mutant um, teenage twins who are uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, as you know them, um, the Maximov twins, and they have crazy superpowers. He's fast, and she's um, got, like, these mind control powers. You thought I was going to say she's weird, because that's the line in the movie, but it was kind of a stupid line in the movie, so I didn't say it. But, yeah, so that's that's how the, the movie opens, and, oh, it's god-awful. It's so bad. That, man, that, it's the worst opening scene I've seen in a long time. 
to some movie. Like, it's, I don't understand what happened with the opening sequence. Um, and I don't understand why no one else is talking about it, because it looks awful. It's some of the worst CG I've seen in anything ever. It looks worse than Jurassic World looks in the CG. It's, the CGI in Jurassic World looks so bad. So... It opens with these characters who aren't even there. It's just these, like, kind of digital representations of them, and they're, like, throwing other digital representations of soldiers on motorcycles, and it just, like, the frame rate is off on it all. Like, it looks, it doesn't even look like a video game, or even, like, the last Hobbit movies. It looks super choppy. Like, it looks like, it looks like the movie had lag, which was really weird. Like, I don't know if they, I don't know if they shot the sequence near the end of filming, or if they reshot the sequence or if they started to run out of money or something but it just looks so bad to the point where i was really distracted by it for like the first 30 minutes of the movie because of how atrocious this opening scene was this opening scene you need to open strong and you need to finish strong as any sort of entertainment if it's a book if you're a comedian if you're a musician performing live or doing an album if you're a movie you need to open strong and you need to finish strong and this movie does not open strong whatsoever like i was legitimately worried about most of it for the first 30 minutes because of how half-assed this opening sequence looked like i can't believe i'm not hearing more about how crappy this looks and i talked to a lot of people who were really confused by the opening sequence because it just kind of starts with like, oh, we're attacking your guys, guys, twins or whatever, and I hope you saw the end of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy because screw you if you didn't. Um, or no, the end of uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Uh, whatever. It, but like, in order for that scene to make sense, you need to have seen the end of Captain America 2 and the most recent episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Now, I don't keep up with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I know a lot of people do, and that's great. I don't have the time for that. I was told that this wouldn't be on the test. Basically, I was told that that was all supplemental to the greater Marvel Universe, and it looks like that's a lie. Um, and I want to talk about that for a second, because all they're doing is growing this universe, right? And... They've got their fingers in all these different pies. You've got network television that has Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter. They're beginning another Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. spinoff, probably S.W.O.R.D. for the Galactic uh, Corpse or whatever. And then you've got the Netflix series that's going to be Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Defenders. Then you've got the greater uh, cinematic universe. And it's just so much to keep track of. And like... We're being told that it's supplemental, and then they're doing things like starting the Avengers 2 in the end of the last episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that's not a greater universe. And my understanding is that they're setting up the Inhumans universe in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so by the time Inhumans rolls around, we've had four or five seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's four or five years of setup to this Inhumans movie. I don't know if I'm going to understand what's going on in it. So it's a problem. Is what I'm saying. It's a huge problem. That's fine if you want to supplement your franchises. And also, Agent Carter had um, some allusions to uh, what was happening in Natasha's dream after she got Scarlet Witched in her brain. And she had all these flashbacks to being in the ballet school that was actually, like, her Black Widow training program. 
All that got set up in Agent Carter. So now I need to watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, Daredevil, and lead up to the Defenders so that Infinity Wars makes sense. It's just too much. And Marvel needs to pull back a lot. And that's the biggest lesson that we could learn from this movie. Marvel needs to pull back a lot. I really enjoyed this movie thoroughly. I was very entertained by it. But it was too big for its britches. Um... I don't want to say it was incoherent, but it was on the verge a lot of times, man. I followed it, but I had to I had to do some mental uh, keeping track way more than I should be for just kind of watching superheroes smash things. And um, I just I just can't see Marvel remedying that anytime soon. So I'm really nervous after the end of Avengers: Age of Ultron as to how the rest of the Marvel franchises will go down. Because they hit a very high bar with Captain America Winter Soldier. I've said it before and I'll say it again. That movie is amazing and it's the best superhero movie that's come out since The Dark Knight. Hands down. It's definitely the best Marvel movie. And I think something like that, the playing around with genres that that movie did, really helped it. And we need to see more of that from Marvel rather than just trying to go bigger and bigger and bigger. Because you're going to collapse under your own weight. You're going to fly too close to the sun, Marvel, and you're going to crash and burn. You know, this movie does a lot of setup for Phase 3. This movie tries to be its own movie. It mostly works as far as I'm concerned. It's a little messy. Like, it's a little unput together. Um, as far as that goes, there's, like, a whole subplot with Thor where he goes to this pool. And he, like, he's shirtless in this pool. And that has something to do with, like, some visions he saw earlier in the movie. But, like, they never really explained what was going on there. I've been told that it's the Infinity Pool or something. But I'm not too sure. So they just need to flesh these things out a little bit more, like maybe even cut down some of the action because this movie was kind of wall-to-wall action and maybe it needed a little bit more story. But at the same time, I was starting to hit a point with the story where I was like, this is kind of boring and stupid. And then the action started to pick up again and I didn't care because it looked sweet, right? So Marvel needs to find a better balance in their movies. Um, Ultron is a great villain, kind of. And that's also a problem that Marvel has. I feel like I'm complaining a lot about the Marvel franchises, but it's because I like them. I liked this movie. I liked it. I didn't love it as much as the Avengers 1. It's really entertaining. It's really funny. It's really cool to see all these people team up again. It's just got too much going on, and it needs to pull itself together and be a little bit tighter and a little bit more focused and and, and really like hammer out what beats it wants to hit and what, what it wants to say and what it wants to do because Ultron was ultimately squandered as far as, like, a useful tool for the story here. Um, he's a really cool villain. He's played greatly by James Spader, and he's just kind of wasted. It's just like, oh, he's a bad guy, and then he's bad. That's all. As far as the heroes go in this movie, they're all back. They're all pretty good. Um... Mark Ruffalo is worse than he was in Avengers 1, and it made me sad because he's my favorite part of the first Avengers movie, and he's just... He just looks tired in it, and, like, his arc isn't very interesting, and, and neither is Black Widow's, really, which is crazy because she got a really interesting arc in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Captain America doesn't really get an arc in this one because he got uh, such a huge one in his own movie. Um... I'm really, the heart of this movie is Hawkeye, and he's great. Jeremy Renner is so so good in this movie. He's just so fun, and and it's cool to see one of the the guys who doesn't have his own movie uh, get sort of the limelight here. Um, Joss Whedon does this thing where he kills everyone, but um, it, it, 
in this movie, he like telegraphs so hardcore that it's going to be Hawkeye, and then he switches it, and it's Quicksilver. Spoilers again, Quicksilver dies. I don't care. Um, but like, I thought it was actually kind of cool that he played around with that because he usually doesn't. He can usually see his character deaths coming from a mile away, as far as I'm concerned. And um, I like that he kind of switched it up on us. I do think it's a little weird that he feels like he has to kill someone every time he makes a thing, but whatever. Each his own, Joss Whedon. Um, the new additions to the cast are uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, who was Quicksilver, and he's no longer in it because he signed a one-movie deal, apparently. Um, Elizabeth Olsen is Scarlet Witch. She's cool. I liked her. She was she was good. Her accent kept dropping, which was super annoying, but I like that character. She had cool powers and stuff. Um, and Paul Bettany is Vision. Vision's my new favorite Avenger. He was so sweet. Vision was so cool. He redeemed this movie a lot for me because that is right about the point where I was like, this is a little bit stupid. And then Vision showed up and I was like, never mind, Vision's dope. This is awesome. And I'm really excited to see what uh, what they do with him in the future. Like, I've, I'm right now I'm all about Vision. Like, just give me a Vision solo movie and trilogy and stuff and just... Let me see him do stuff. And I think partly it's because Vision is Paul Bettany. And Paul Bettany has been this kind of constant presence throughout the Marvel Universe as Jarvis. And so to see him, like, kind of finally get his dues, like, it feels like a big payoff. Like, when Vision shows up and it's Paul Bettany, I felt like seven, eight years worth of movies have paid off for me in the form of Jarvis, like, getting... A body and I thought that was great and like the vision character was super well written like you can tell Joss Whedon had the most fun writing that character because he has the most interesting stuff to do but he doesn't show up until three quarters of the way through the movie so it's just kind of like a little bit of a slog to get to him so Hawkeye and Vision are, are kind of front and center in this one and I really liked both of them so I'm I'm down like to see them more War Machine shows up in the big final battle, which is sweet because I like Don Cheadle as War Machine. However, if it's a big enough problem to call in War Machine, it's also a big enough problem to call in Falcon. And Falcon is way cooler than War Machine, and I wanted to see him show up, but he didn't, and it made me sad. He does show up at the end, and that's cool. And I'm kind of excited that um, they're setting up to a kind of new Avengers in Vision and... Um, War Machine and Falcon and is it Hawkeye in there? I remember who was all there at the end, but I like that they're kind of setting up to a new team. I think they might be kind of trying to alleviate a lot of the problems I was complaining about earlier. So all in all, what is Age of Ultron? Age of Ultron is the sum of its parts. It's got some good, it's got some bad, it's got some eye-popping visuals, it's got some eye-deadening visuals. Um, there's one scene at the very end during the big climactic um, floating city sequence, whatever, where they're all in this, like, kind of coliseum-looking thing, and they're all, like, fighting, and it's slow motion, and, like, it's really cool. It was my favorite visual. It's everyone's favorite visual, so it's not really saying much. But it was, like, pretty well composed, too, which, like, the first half hour is not pretty well composed, but it has really good camera work, so I was really confused because I've never seen a camera so dynamic but a shot composition so crappy and like it finally reconciled itself uh, by the end of the movie and was able to deliver with that big fight sequence in the, the like Coliseum looking church thing or whatever that was. I, I really liked that scene a lot. And so the action was distracting enough and the ending was strong enough 
for me to forgive a lot of the dumb that happened early on in the movie. But there's a lot of dumb in this movie. And it's a lot more visible than it was in kind of any other Marvel movie. And I'm just a little bit worried. Like, this movie wasn't outright terrible, but it really could have been. It really was on that fine line. And so I'm... I'm I'm really nervous about the the Marvel Universe. Um, I think one of the things that works in its favor is Marvel has to keep making movies that people will go see in order to stay viable as a company. Now, this is a thing that I hear about. Well, why can't uh, DC make movies that are as good as the Marvel movies? And it's a valid question, and here's why. DC is over at Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers doesn't have to keep making DC movies to stay a viable corporation. They have plenty of other movies that come out in a given year. A lot of them they want to make Oscar bait. And so they, they, they know that those movies will make money. So if, like, Man of Steel kind of sucks, which it did, it's not as big of a financial hit as, um, as Marvel would take if like, uh, if, like, Civil War sucks and then the next movie after Civil War sucks, and the, or I guess if Ant-Man sucks, and then Civil War sucks, and then the movie after Civil War sucks, and people stop going to their movies, Marvel has to do something about that. If people stop going to DC movies, all Warner Brothers has to do is say, we're not going to make DC movies anymore, and Warner Brothers continues on. Marvel has to care about their franchises to stay viable. So I'm hoping they're going to start listening to the fans a little. There's a little bit of unrest going on. I feel like it's almost a grassroots campaign. Um, but something's got to give sooner or later. And I think it will. I hope it will. I don't think it's because no one cares. I think everyone cares about what's going on in these universes. Um, but I just think that that they might be getting too ambitious. And that makes sense because they caught lightning in a bottle last time i mean no one's made this shared universe the way marvel has and i think it's great i think it's really cool i think it makes sense in the uh age we're in where all of our entertainment is sort of synergized but something's gotta like you gotta draw back on something marvel because you can't keep adding new things for us to keep up with because then all we will be watching is marvel stuff and i don't want to only watch marvel stuff and i'm not going to and no one is so I don't know. I, 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 like I said, I enjoyed it. It was funny. It was entertaining. Um, I like seeing these people together again. I think they play well off of each other for the most part. Um, some people were kind of dead inside, and I don't know what that was about. I'm still faithful to the Marvel brand. I still think they put out very good tentpole movies, and um, I'm super excited for Ant-Man. I hear it's a heist movie, so I'm hoping that at the very least the single hero movies can keep playing around with genres the way they have been in Phase 2. Um, I think that injects a freshness into these properties that we haven't seen from all the other comic book movies. So that's Avengers Age of Ultron. It's good. It's not great. It's not okay. It's good. It's good. It's worth seeing. I enjoyed it. But Marvel's got some work to do. So if you guys like the show, uh, please like and subscribe on uh, SoundCloud. Share the show with your friends, please. I would love to get more listeners. I found out that uh, the Fast and Furious 900 plays thing, kind of a fluke, but I'm not going to share that story on air. Um, if you have thoughts about Avengers Age of Ultron, email them to me before and after show at gmail.com. If you have puns about Age of Ultron, tweet them to me at before and after pod on Twitter. That's at before the letter N after pod on Twitter. Um, I'll be back next week 
to take on the uh, most amount of movies I've ever taken on uh, in the podcast, and I'm actually pretty nervous about it. So uh, you will see what I'm talking about then. Those of you that are movie savvy, all you got to do is look at the release dates to kind of know what I'm going to be doing. Um, It's Mad Max. And uh, until next week, go watch something. (laughs) Thank you.